And so I'd like to invite you to join me. Uh, turn or tap over to John chapter 20 and verse 1. In John chapter 20, verse 1, we see encountering moments with the risen Savior. And you know, I think with the benefit of 2,000 years of Easter Sundays between us and the very first one, it's so easy to forget how disorienting, how unexpected that very first resurrection day was. When every single day since has been a resurrection day, we forget just how much changed because Jesus conquered death and sin forever. So let's look perhaps with fresh eyes at this moment. John chapter 20 verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that, I guess. If the Holy Spirit inspires you to write a gospel account, you get to brag when you win the race. All right, John, we see you. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. That's John. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up and in a place by itself. Let's stop there for just a moment and acknowledge together what's been happening. So we see Mary, and man, we're going to hear more about Mary in just a second. But Mary is going to the tomb early in the morning before dawn has even hit. The sun hasn't come up. It's still dark outside. And we learn in other accounts that there was actually a group of women with Mary, and they make it to the tomb. But perhaps what happened was Mary, along with the others, sees that the stone is rolled away, and she takes off, not sticking around to see what happens. She runs to Peter and John. They were the closest disciples of Jesus. They need to hear what's happened. She gets to them. She says, evidently, she thinks that someone robbed the grave, that someone moved the body. She was wrong. And she was right. Someone had robbed that grave. The boys beat to the tomb as fast as they could. And we're told that there were grave clothes inside the tomb, which makes sense. Because for part of three days and two nights, Jesus had been dead. Jesus died for God and for us on a cross, giving up his life. But now... John, still on the outside of the tomb, and Peter, who had barged right on inside, their lungs heaving as they grasp and try to catch their breath, look inside. They're both seeing death cloths without a dead person. Because Jesus is alive. That is what they see. 
Jesus is alive. And that's the truth that all of this sermon and all of human history hangs on from that point forward. Jesus is alive. And everything about the passage we're going to read today points back to this over and over and over again. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Jesus is alive. Now, I will say, you don't have to believe that at first because none of these people did. But it is true. And I hope you do believe it. As we look at the truth today, we see in the moments that followed how real people believed and how Jesus' victory over death would make a way for their new life. First, we see John's encounter. In verse 8, it says this, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John slowly makes his way into the tomb, into the darkness, and looks around, and it says he saw and he believed. What is it that he saw? Saw what? Saw the inside of a tomb? Saw used grave clothes tossed to the side? He, he saw nothing. It's actually more about what he didn't see then than what he did see He didn't see Jesus. He didn't see a body. And that confused him. We're we're told up to this point that he didn't understand that there wouldn't have been a corpse, that there wouldn't have been a dead man inside. He didn't understand the words of the prophets. He didn't understand Jesus' own teachings. He was confused. I've read it this way. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody, but here it is, nobody. Right then and there then, John traded his confusion for belief. John traded his confusion for belief. Seeing all the evidence of Jesus alive, but not seeing Jesus himself, John traded all of his confusion about what God had been doing, about what Jesus had been saying, about what had just gone down, and he was able to believe. John traded his confusion for belief. That's his story of how a risen Jesus brings life. But his story isn't the only story. He's not the only person who's brought to life in Jesus through faith. We see next Mary again, who's back at the grave. It says in verse 11, but Mary stood outside weeping stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. You've got to love this woman, Mary. You've got to love her. Mary is grieving still about Jesus being dead to such an extent that when two angels show up and speak to her, perhaps for the first time we see in all of recorded scripture, instead of freaking out 
Because angels are there. She's so focused on what her heart so loves that she seems mildly disinterested in who they are and what they're asking. She's so focused on her Jesus that she just says, they've taken my Lord. Can you tell me where they have laid him? She only wants to know where his body might be. She's coming for a body. Well, having said this, it says in verse 14, she turned around and looked and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. This woman won't be knocked off her mission, though all of heaven stands in her way. Jesus and angels. And she's like, no, I'm looking for the body of Jesus. I'm curious why she doesn't recognize Jesus. Perhaps it's the tears. Perhaps it's Jesus' resurrection body. Maybe it's still too dark outside. Or perhaps none of us recognizes Jesus until he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear who he is. And that's exactly what he does next. Verse 16, Jesus says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. If John traded confusion for belief, Mary traded grief for joy. She traded grief for gladness. The creator of the universe of all humanity who had known her before she knew life looked at Mary and said her name. Mary. And where there had been darkness, perhaps because it was morning, and perhaps because her soul had not realized life to its fullest yet, there was suddenly now light. And Mary exclaims, Rabbani, and must have given him the biggest hug or fallen at his feet and clung to his legs. But Jesus had a mission for himself and for her. She wouldn't be able to hold on to his presence like she had been used to, like she would have wanted to. Because he had gone through the cross and through the grave and was going to the Father. And she needed to get going somewhere herself to announce this news. Mary traded grief for gladness. On the resurrection of Jesus, we're starting to see that it's just beginning to pick up its effect, its impact. We then see in John 20, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 19. It says, On the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In this moment, the disciples trade fear for mission. The disciples trade fear for mission. Here are Jesus' disciples. What's left of them? One of them's already betrayed him and is dead. We'll read later, one of them isn't there. There's a ragtag group, and they were afraid for good reason. Their enemies had just killed their leader, and now they've locked themselves up in what all evidence we can know. They locked themselves up in the upper room where Jesus had just shared the Passover meal with them a few days before. They had known Jesus. They had heard his teachings. They had listened probably all day to Mary and the other women saying, no, Jesus is alive. He wasn't there. I saw him. But here are his disciples, afraid and locked in a room. But all of that changed when Jesus invited himself inside. Everything always changes when Jesus invites himself in. Jesus says, peace be with you, and then says, I was sent, you are sent. I was sent, I'm sending you. This is your mission now. I'm sending you to make disciples, to preach the good news about my death, but then my resurrection, to be witnesses. This group of Jesus abandoning, afraid of everything, risk nothing but just survive kind of a team. Not your ideal team. They trade their fear in this moment for mission. From this point forward, the city of Jerusalem, the region of Israel, and the entire world is turned upside down. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas. Story after story after story of what happens when you interact with, when you meet, when you collide with the risen Jesus. Verse 24 says that Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Uh uh-uh. Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and I place my hand Into his sides, I will never believe. Eight days later. Eight days. Eight days later. His disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger Here, see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas, Thomas, my realist friend, right? It's like, no, I need hard data. 
I'm going to give it one, two, three things I need to see before I fall into this shenanigans, whatever you guys are talking about here. And wait a week, and Jesus shows up, and it's almost like Jesus swivels directly over Thomas. He's like, peace be with you all, but Thomas, Thomas, my guy, fancy seeing you here. And then his next words directly to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, put out your hand, place it on my side, count it one, two, three for three. Jesus shows up at every reason Thomas had to doubt. Everything Thomas said he needed, Jesus offers, and then he says, do not disbelieve, mister, I will never believe. Believe. And Thomas did. Thomas traded doubt for confidence. He traded doubt for confidence in that moment. He exclaims one of the most poignant titles we've seen ascribed to Jesus yet. My Lord and my God. Now Thomas has conviction. The process of writing this gospel, John has captured and written that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, on and on the titles went. But now here we see it plainly. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. I'm trading doubt for confidence. I love these stories. Confidence, mission, gladness, belief in the face of doubt and fear and sadness and confusion. All these traits. How? These incredible but imperfect people knew life at last because they believed that Jesus traded death for life. They knew life at last because they knew Jesus traded death for life. None of these people's storylines work any other way unless this is true. Because ultimately it wasn't John or Mary or Thomas or any of the rest that had anything to do with the trades that they made, the people they became, the boldness they showed, the lives they went on to live, the testimony they continued to give, and the way that they died. It was the resurrection of Jesus that transformed them. It was the fact that Jesus was alive. There's no other way in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus traded his glory for human form, his perfection for our sin, his blessing for our curse, his life for our living, his death for our death, his communion with our estrangement, his everything for our nothing. He died in our place and for our sin. And we can respond to that. We can repent of our rebellion and believe in his finished, sufficient work for our rescue because Jesus, having made every trade unimaginable to this point already, makes perhaps the greatest trade yet. He trades his death for life. Jesus is alive. And so, the author of this book, John, He doesn't know what to say yet, I imagine. He doesn't know what to say after this, I imagine. This is the climax. This is the pinnacle. This is the thing that changes the world. And so he says, well, now now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You and I can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the saving one. That Jesus traded death for life. And I wonder, have you made that trade? Have you made the trade? I mean, what are you waiting for? Mary did, Thomas did, the others. I mean, what might you leave behind? What things are you waiting for? What pain is in your life? What are you most desperate for right now that you could leave behind? Or maybe to say it, maybe to say it the way Jesus said it to Mary. Why are you weeping? And what are you seeking? What are you seeking? We all search for something. Haley in that video shared the way she was searching for something in the world for answers, searching for radical love and feeling lost. Would you admit that the way you live your life and the, the way you go to bed at night or the way you stay up all night long, it's clear to your soul that you're still looking for something. Perhaps today you need to trade your searching for significance in Jesus. Think of the way Mary went into that garden tomb that day. She had something she was searching for. She was searching for a corpse. She was looking for a corpse. Her expectations of what God could do were tragically low. She went looking for a corpse. Mary found out, though, that her dead rabbi was a living redeemer. He gave her belief, belonging, and the job, the significance of being on mission for him, of declaring and announcing for the very first time the sight of the risen, living Messiah. Perhaps today you too need to trade searching for significance in Jesus. I'm wondering, maybe you're a Christian, you're here, and you know Jesus like Mary knew Jesus, but you've underestimated him. Maybe you're going through life with a corpse for a Christ. But Christian, Jesus traded death for life. In Christ, we've been given not only power through the Spirit, victory because of his life, but then a mission, a significance, a living witness to be, to believe and to announce the resurrection of Jesus, to share our belief. I mean, hear the living Savior say, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Christian, in the room today, believer, my friends, let's trade searching, let's trade sidelined, let's trade settling, let's trade sin for the significance that Jesus has given to us. 
We've got these ugly and beautiful accounts of ordinary people here in John trading what they were facing and what they were going through for the significance of what Jesus was offering. And as a sent people, shouldn't we also, like their stories are shared here, share how we believe? Yes, what we share is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but maybe we share it best by sharing how we believed, by sharing our transformation moment, by letting that mission unfold day by day by day to world, knowing we have a purpose We have a mission, we have significance, and we don't need to find another thing to find meaning in life. We found it in Jesus, and he's alive. He also asked Mary, as we think about what we have to trade, Mary, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Man, grief. That's why Mary was weeping. Mary was human. Mary's humanity was on display, and she wasn't the only vulnerable person that morning and that evening and that week. It's almost as if Jesus addresses the humanity of all the others. John, why are you confused? Disciples, why are you afraid? Thomas, man, why are you unsure? Here. You can trade your humanity for glory, your dying for living, your death for life. Because we do all have a death. We do all have a death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The penalty for that sin is separation, and the sting of that sin is death and the injustice and horror of living at times. But you can trade your death for life in Jesus. And we do that by obeying Jesus' instruction here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Have you traded your death for life in Jesus? Say that knowing, seeing in this passage, that you can't have someone else's faith. Not your families, not your heritage. You can't have someone else's faith. You need to believe yourself. It was true for Thomas. It was true for Mary. It was true for each of the disciples. Each Christian ultimately has a unique moment where God causes them to recognize their humanity and to see and believe in the risen Jesus in their place for their sin. You can trade your death for life in Jesus. Mary, her moment was she heard Jesus say her name. The disciples saw him in their presence. Thomas felt and touched his wounds. You might think, of course, they can believe. Of course, they can make that trade. They had Jesus. But actually not John. John didn't. John stepped into an empty grave and believed. He, he's thinking, I, I don't see him. He's not here. But, but it's starting to make sense somehow. Maybe you're sitting here today and your head and your heart are saying the same things that John head and heart said. 
I don't see Jesus. He's, he's not here. He's with the Father. But somehow it's all starting to make sense anyhow. That's faith awakening. That is the beginning of belief. That is God alive and at work in your life right now. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, he says. Well, this morning, this morning can be your resurrection moment. You can be saved. Even if you'd say, you know, this morning I'm, I'm closer to the struggle than to salvation. Didn't Jesus meet our characters in their struggle? Struggling faith is saving faith just the same. Because it is not the strength of the faith that saves us, but the strength of the one in whom we have faith. He is enough. Jesus is able to save you no matter how you come to him, confused, grieved, afraid, still not sure, just that you come to him. Repenting of your sin, believing that Jesus is the risen Lord, the saving one for everyone, for me, for you. Have you made the trade? Church, because Jesus traded death for life, we can know life at last.